Welcome, wonderful Femon listeners. Today, you're listening to another episode of Femon Creatives, just our excuse to chat with incredibly talented humans and their creative pursuits. Um, sorry, about their creative pursuits. This is going really well. Um, this is, of course, part of the Femon Podcast Collective, where awesome women chat about the things that they love and care about. My name is Jess. This is the second time I have managed to wangle a conversation with a really cool person. So yay me. Um, My guest today is a writer and published author. They have published a collection of short stories and my personal favourite, a memoir titled And Marvel. They also co-author an online journal for non-native and multilingual English speakers, which means they're cool as fudge. (laughs) Um, Welcome, Kathleen Davies. Oh, sorry. I got it. Kathleen Davis. Sorry, we just <laughs> had that conversation. It's the Welsh version. <laughs> no worries. Absolutely fine. Everyone calls me Davies. <laughs> I just, it's so, I've literally lived with this, with, with, with Davies slash Davis my whole life. And I just, I've never gotten it right. But anyway, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Oh, yes. No, I'm good. I'm all the better for chatting with you. Thank you so much for Oh, thank you so much for having me. Lovely little <laughs> podcast. Um, I want to start by saying that I read and Marvel and I absolutely adored it and I am so excited to talk about it but before we do (laughs) um I'd like to talk a little bit about you sort of wind back talk about you and where your creative journey began I'm trying to look for another word for journey but I can't find it so we're gonna say creative journey (laughs) um so, so yeah, because I love, love, love learning about the authors behind the books. Mm. Um, and so that's what we're here to talk about today. Um, so, yeah, so I think it'd be great if we could maybe kick off with um, just a sort of a window into sort of where your creative writing began. Because um, would you say that at your foremost, you are sort of a writer? creative writer oof I mean yeah yeah sure yeah but I mean I I always feel tentative calling myself anything I'd like I prefer to say I do writing rather than I am a writer uh only because I feel like it's slightly pretentious or or like you know someone's gonna come along and be like oh but you've not won any booker prizes or you know whatever it happens to do but yeah like writing is definitely what I have committed myself to academically and professionally and it's the thing that I love to do the most so I suppose yeah that is me at the forefront what I, I always have in the back of my mind regardless of what I'm doing is that I want to be a writer at some point um in terms of where my journey started I don't know I, I've, I've always wrote I um used to write as a little kid little poems and stuff about animals and, and cutesy things like that I found I found a story that I wrote when I was about six and uh, it was a, about an old man who kept hearing sleigh bells and dug himself a hole in the snow to find them and then died on Christmas Eve and I'm sure I'm sure I was going to finish it and make it like a cute story where he wakes up in Christmas land because I got a vague memory of that but I never finished it and it ended up being you so know, died, like yeah. one of my current short stories. It really just sounds like a dark version of like a, one of those Santa stories. <laughs> yeah, very, very much, yeah. yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm obsessed with Christmas. So anything that involves sleigh bells, I think is all my jam. But um, <laughs> I love, I love, yeah, I love thinking about a six-year-old you being like, so there's sleigh bells and then there's this old man and he will wake up, but I have to do something else. And then yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the official story, the one that I tell people is when I was 16, there was a creative writing competition um, for my college, like six mile college in, in Hull. And I submitted it because if you won, you got something like 100 quid. And I didn't win. I came second and I got 50 quid. And I was always like, oh, well, this could be the start of a lucrative career, uh, which <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when, when I won that, um, I came second in that competition. That was when people started talking to me and being like, oh, you know, if you're good at writing, you should consider going to the University of East Anglia. They've got a very prestigious creative writing course. And I applied there and I applied to a bunch of the places doing English, you know, proper straight English and um, got in by some stroke of magic. And now I'm a lecturer there and I'm doing my PhD there and all the rest of it. So UEA as well has definitely shaped my journey for sure. That is so cool. The fact that you lecture there and that oh, you're doing your you. PhD there. 
as someone who never um studied creative writing I studied journalism instead but then went on to be like you know actually writing is like what I want to do um I'm always quite jealous of people who who actually figured it out earlier early enough to be like creative writing is what I want to do in uni journalism's creative writing in a way isn't it I suppose oh I mean kind of kind of after my you don't get to choose the plot exactly (laughs) yeah yeah apparently you're not supposed to have an agenda (laughs) you know Um, my favorite journalists do so I wouldn't worry about that there we go yeah um so so then 16 year old you is kind of like maybe writing writing's what I want to do and then it just kind of went from there would you say would you were you sort of writing consistently little bits here and there from 16 uh yes and no I think I think I did um I did my degree and the the amazing thing about that is you send off work to be marked and you get feedback on it by a whole group of people and then you send it off to someone who's a professional like or at least you know incredibly good at what they do and they give you loads of feedback and then you have this like adrenaline rush of like yeah I'm getting all this attention and positivity attached validation to my- <laughs> yeah, exactly that yeah and then, and then I moved away I, I lived abroad for a little while and I didn't really write although I say I didn't really write I tried to run a pathetic self-deprecating travel blog called white dreadlocks for a little while and oh I love yeah <laughs> I love those early pathetic blogs I had one about breakfast food literally oh, nice. about no no it wasn't nice but it was it was a thing <laughs> it was supposed to put a meal of the day I wouldn't do yourself right? I mean I think so <laughs> but so yeah yeah I mean I, in terms of like if I've written consistently yes a bit but I don't really like buy into that idea that uh, if you want to be a writer you have to write every day or anything like that I think uh, being a writer involves lots of research and reading and exploring and living in the world and doing your own thing for a little while and of course of course writing and editing but I think there's because it's such a sought after career and um, because lots of people admire the writers that they know and like I think people come up with this arbitrary and, and quite often pointless rules for what it means to be a proper writer. And that's, I try to avoid doing that by being like, yes. yeah, I, mean, I write all the time, guys. Like, no, of course, there are months of my life where I haven't, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, you are an absolute breath, breath of fresh air because yeah. I have just come out of like a, a, um, like a little writing hole where I was like, I must write and just open my laptop and be like, no. Yeah. yeah and then and then you feel bad about it because literally every, you know everyone's like oh you want to be a writer well, you've got to write for all this time and I know that works for a lot of people for like advanced writers or writers who have been you know they've published books left right and center you get into a rhythm I get that but um that's not me and so yeah I, I I also feel like creativity is fickle right so you can be like my plan today is to write and then you get there and your mind's like Whoa. yeah yeah right? for sure. the best work I've ever written is when um you have that kind of moment of like oh my gosh this is connected I've got to get this down and that yeah. is actually usually an incredibly inconvenient time that's all oh, right like, it's, it's be somewhere it's like, like <laughs> it's usually like sort of 11 p.m where I'm like I'm about to fall asleep and then my, my brain's like no but there's this really good idea and you should write it down right now <laughs> oh god my brain's the worst for that though because I have um incredibly vivid dreams and I, I wake up in the middle of the night constantly and think oh oh my gosh that's got to be a great short story and I always remember my dreams and then I'll be telling like my flatmate in the morning and I'll be thinking this isn't a short story (laughs) this is absolute nonsense (laughs) like it means nothing but I was convinced when I was in a doze at five in the morning that you know it was a really cool yeah story yeah um okay so then considering that create like uh creativity is like super fickle like when do you think that you're actually at your most creative is it always sort of like 5 a.m. in between dreams? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. That is that's a time for dozing and brainstorming, not a time for any practical writing. Um, I I'm quite neurotic. I've spoken about this on podcasts before. I'm very neurotic about following a to-do list in the system. And I, I use a lot of gamification by like, you know, rolling dice and then doing it for any anything from 10 minutes to an hour, depending on what the dice lands on and all that sort of stuff. And in that way, I kind of force myself to write and it's not always good but I can force myself to write out of it so I would say I'm at my most creative about halfway through a session when I've got past the procrastinating writing into it sort of figuring out stuff and like 
the alarm is about to go off in about 10, 20 minutes. That's when I'm kind of at my peak. Uh, occasionally when I get into that rhythm, I can keep going past the alarm and do whatever I want. But uh, usually then I've got permission to like chill and have a cup of tea. So I take that. But yeah, I, I'm pretty good at writing my way out of stuff and editing. Like I'm not really a particularly good writer, to be honest, but I'm quite all right at editing mm-hmm. um, and getting rid of all the rubbish and that sort yeah. of helps. So, yeah. Do you find that quite um, cathartic, getting rid of the rubbish? Like, yeah, yeah, killing my darlings. Like, I, I don't necessarily find it as painful as people have told me that I would. Mm. Um, big thing they teach in creative writing, you know, you know, you gotta kill your darlings, and it's always going to be painful, and you can keep them saved, you know, just in case you ever want to use them again. And like, <laughs> I'm not like that at all. I'm like <laughs> very dramatically like it's who gives an at yeah <laughs> who gives a fuck about these things. <laughs> <laughs> kill them off kill them off now yeah I love that so much yeah and I I, I love editing as well like I feel mm. like I'm quite a natural editor but that means that I edit too soon like I'm at that point in writing my novel where it's complete horseshit and so you know you've just got to write the, you've just got to write all the horseshit down but you've got to get the story down and then you can go back and edit it you know but I've been learning as I go so I'm like I start reading it again I'm like oh well I can change that and then I can change that and and then I just don't progress so I'm trying to get out of that because I That's find fine editing. though isn't it I've got I know loads of people that edit as they go I edit as I go along like I the first thing I do when I'm writing is reread the last chapter and edit it like I, oh, really is that is yeah. that the way that you do it okay yeah I mean like I know like Stephen King and all those people that like pummel books out at a mental pace like he he does like a couple of thousand words gets a manuscript puts it in draw for six months and then goes back to it but yeah no I'm I'm constantly editing and it's why my first drafts are always like the first few pages are pretty polished and yeah. then the last bit is garbage <laughs> <laughs> like I'm done with this now <laughs> um okay brilliant so um you've also you mentioned earlier that you're a, a, you lecture now so do you you lecture on creative writing yeah yeah okay so what is sort of give us a sort of flavor of the the advice that you give to your students I mean you, you're starting to to already give that now like you know kind of don't worry about, about being about being a writer who has to write every day but like what is sort of one key piece of advice you you tend to give to students um write what you think is cool I think I think I think there's a lot of people especially at UEA which is like a beautiful environment for fostering creativity but it's it's very kind of you know there is one way to write we do bare bones literary fiction with neat clean sentences without any superfluous adverbs or whatever it happens to be um and that's fine it's fine but we we have loads and loads of stories about um young people having sex and doing drugs and trying to be writers that's fine. That's fine. That's what a lot of people think is really cool. But so many people are scared to write fantasy or write horror or write um, genre fiction in any sense, or even just write about the stuff that really like is it in it like resonates with them because mm. they're trying too hard to follow other writers. They're, they're mimicking mm. other writers, and mimicry is inevitable. Like if you're reading, you're probably mimicking the people that you're reading currently. Like that's just part of it. But I, I think. Um, just having conviction in knowing what you would want to read and knowing who you are and telling your story is really what the most important thing is because you know there's too many people who are um who are in many ways silenced or at least not um held up as much as other members of the society and instead of thinking well that's rubbish I'm going to tell my version of the story and do it in a way that I think is cool they sort of think okay so I guess I have to kind of blend in with this yeah and um I, I just really encourage my students just have conviction make sure you know why you're making the choices that you're making but do whatever you think is cool yeah write the books you want to read okay yeah 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 Very much so. Yeah, no, I think I think that's an awesome piece of advice. Um, write the books you want to research, because otherwise, Jesus, you can drive yourself mental. <laughs> yes. Why would you know what you're willing to research? Like, oh yeah, I wish someone had told me that when I decided I wanted to write, write historical fiction. <laughs> so I was like, Christ! Now I'm looking at articles from the National Portrait Gallery about about like what the wallpaper was like in. 
yeah. so bored. <laughs> Why do I think this matters? Um, then I've spent like a big chunk of this afternoon uh, watching videos on arrest protocol because uh, I, I have a character that gets arrested in in novel that I'm writing at the moment. My supervisor was like, this is incredibly unrealistic. So now I'm watching all of these. Oh, good. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> go-to That's videos. Really fun piece of research. Um, <laughs> gosh, but I, I really love listening to other writers talk about their process because I it's so it's so messy it can be so messy and chaotic and so different like different people do it different ways yeah Um, but one thing that I find important to me is that I really want to enjoy the process like I know I'm not going to enjoy the whole process um, some of it's going to be boring or whatever, but largely I'm doing this. Be- it's not like writing's an easy win in terms of career choices. You're not going to instantly <laughs> make make a butt ton of money. Like most people who write at the beginning stages are doing it in between a full time job or at least a part time job and other things, you know. So like I at least want to enjoy the process, and I hope that that drives a lot of writers would you say that that that's what drives you do you do you try and enjoy the process or do you you do do you just know that like half of it's going to be painful or whatever oh I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy the process yeah I, I think I always 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 make this joke that like oh, I hate writing I love having written but that's not really true I think I think if I didn't write I would feel compelled to anyway like whether or not there was any kind of um financial or like academic gain I mean <laughs> there isn't very much financial gain I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll be honest I occasionally once in a blue moon get picked up by a journal and get sent like 15 quid or whatever but like uh <laughs> yeah no it, it's because um I feel like almost a compulsion uh to get things down to immortalize stuff like I think if I was better at any other forms of art I probably would have wanted to be in a band or to you know do beautiful paintings but as it is I just write stories write poetry that kind of thing yeah so yeah it's all about enjoying the process and I enjoy the process because I write about the stuff that I think is cool and um, so it all sort of ties together I think yeah that's that's actually such a good point um okay so what I'm keen to know because I've already mentioned your book and Marvel which we'll talk about in a little bit but I know that you also love to write short stories and Mm. that you've published a book of short stories called Cheeky Bloody Articles, which I haven't read yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> um, but I, I, I've never really written a short story. Um, so I'm, I'm keen to know sort of where you draw your inspiration from for your short stories. I mean, you, you did mention your, your vivid dreams, you know, which do or do not sort of transform into short stories, but sort of more generally, sort of where do you find that you, you tend to draw that inspiration from? Mm, I don't really know I I think it's a combination of like being fascinated by stuff that happens around the world and uh like the weird dreams and things like that I mean my undergraduate dissertation uh is published in cheeky bloody articles it's called the family and that was like a 6,000 word shot story and that was based on a nightmare that I had that I then like materialized and kind of like molded into like a cohesive actually um decent story with the help of my supervisor as well um, so that came from a dream and it gave the marker nightmares, which still to this day is the best review I've ever had. Oh my gosh, get that on a medal or something. <laughs> yeah. like, that should be on your wall. <laughs> oh, I've kept it. I've kept it because, uh, you know, I'm like all writers, a massive narcissist. But um, <laughs> uh, very, I mean, like uh, the one that springs to mind recently. Um, well no this isn't even recent this is a couple of years ago I I wrote this piece called The Old Castle and it was because I was watching something on um, Polari and you know the secret uh, queer language for criminals and and various other people when they work to evade the police and I was watching people do um, a a short play using Polari and I just like got into this huge conflict in my head because I love the idea of like you know John Waters once said like you know, back in the 60s when it was still illegal to be homosexual and it was actually kind of more fun that way. And, you know, I don't really believe that. I take that with a pinch of salt because, of course, you know, you were harassed by the police, you were being beaten and killed, you you had no rights. Um, and I'm glad that we're, we are improving in terms of equal rights and things like that. But there was this conflict between having underground community and this, like, really, really close-knit 
sort of uh, subculture that you're a part of and being completely accepted uh, and having all the human rights that come alongside that. And I don't have an answer to it about which I prefer. I mean, of course, of course, I prefer having human rights and being allowed to marry and all this sort of stuff. But it, it came particularly when I was thinking about um, gay men being allowed to give blood and thinking like, oh, wow, that's so generous of you. Oh, <laughs> so yes. Uh, but of course you know it's good it's good that gay men can give blood it's better for everyone but there is a sense of like almost um irony and bitterness that surrounds yeah and I got like I got obsessed with that and I ended up writing something called the old castle which was like these two characters who who kind of represent both sides of that having an argument and it was an, an old gay club which is called the castle in Norwich they've done it all up now it's gorgeous like it is nothing like how I describe it in my story but uh yeah so that came from that I mean, recently, God, what was it? I went, I went with my mate to go visit a granddad in in a hospital, and um, everyone was so lovely, like incredibly lovely. Like people were being ridiculously overplight in lifts. The staff was smiling at everyone. Like everyone was bonding and being really sweet to each other, and it was kind of a lovely human experience. I think because obviously everyone was doing that because they were aware that in the, the setting that we were in, mm -hmm. we were talking to. Um, was really vulnerable yeah and I thought wow hospitals are a great place to be to be vulnerable because everyone's so kind mm -hmm. to you. and I started I started writing the story and it's nowhere near finished it's still in the kind of drafty stages in fact not even the drafty stages the brainstorm not written up stages yeah um, the messy stages yeah <laughs> yeah and I thought about that old joke about Pagliacci you know like um the clown that goes to the doctors and says you know I'm depressed and he says well why don't you go see this clown and he's like but I'm the clown and I thought wouldn't it be so funny to have somebody who goes to hospital cafes specifically to cry because they're depressed. And then I thought, wouldn't it be even funnier if they were like a clown? And then, and then like, I got like more into it. Like, obviously he wouldn't go dressed as a clown, but it would be very good for him to be a clown because he'd have loads of different wigs that he could use. And then what if he falls in love with somebody who's losing a partner to a terminal illness and um, he has to make an excuse for why he's in the hospital all the time. And what if this became like this um, identity love story about self-loathing and I've got this idea of like I think it's gonna end with him performing at a child's party that he doesn't realize is a child of this woman that he's seeing and everyone talking about how wonderful it is they're still having this party when the husband's so ill and all the rest of it and him seeing her and um not knowing what to do because he's pretended to be this whole other person I don't know I think that might be good but that was just like a spark when I was in a hospital and I thought oh god people are so nice here maybe I can write about that um it's yeah. so awesome isn't it like half of like and, and that's why I think we created this little um this little series on the femon thing is because I think creativity takes so many forms but the the I think the fun bit no matter what your creative um your creative method is is exactly what you just described which is like I have an idea oh it could be like this oh and it could be like this and then I could do this and then I could do this and then that is so much fun like that whole yeah. process there is so much fun and it's so satisfying because you're like no this could actually this is kind of all piecing together and it's really fun like that idea that you just spelled out sounds sound sounds like so much fun like you're like <laughs> I can I can make him a clown and then oh my god he could be at a child's like that that and that's why I and that's why I think everybody needs some kind of creative outlet because yeah. um like I'm not a therapist or a psychologist but to me it seems like like it's that like inner child thing like mm -hmm. that process there like it it's it can bring you so much joy it can be it can be a, a bit of a, a release like and you can just you can use your imagination and I, we just don't get to use our imagination our imagination that much as adults unless we have or we pursue something really creative mm. um so I just I just loved listening to you talk about your idea <laughs> oh, and how it like and how it like snowballed oh, you know I'm sorry I'll come across as total waffle in the edit but like no just... no no, yeah, it no I completely agree with you everyone needs creative outlet even if it's just doodling or knitting and art doesn't have to be good and it doesn't oh, have to be monetary just do it for yourself and yeah. I completely agree it can be therapeutic absolutely yeah I agree do it for yourself so and Marvel I I I, I have like a bunch of notes I've just I've got so many notes about this book um I want I want to start by saying that um I 
appreciate that it, it couldn't have been like an easy book to write. And when I was reading it, it was very clear that there were sort of stages of the book. And like these these are my assumptions, so they could be completely garbage. But um I think it like it must have been a very difficult book to write, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But um but I got to the end of it and I was like, this is actually this is such an important read because at the end you talk about who you think would benefit from reading the book and that is why I think it's such an important read like you you it's it's a very it's a very honest account of of grief and and like and like messy hard relationships and 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 grappling with shame and sort of um you know, feelings of insecurity and self-worth and all of that. And you, but you tie it up in this, it's so, um, you tie it up in such a, an interesting way. Like there's poetry and there's um, like, the chapters aren't necessarily the same, but they fit together. Like there's a chapter at the end that is written very, um, it's almost like stream of consciousness, your chapter on time. Right, yeah. Yeah. was so good like you're reading it and you literally I literally felt like I was in your brain at that point um so yeah so I just wanted to say like I I like thank you this book was amazing it was it was really really good to read I couldn't I I, I definitely had to be in the right headspace to read it if, you know if, if um like because I I read before bed so I'd pick it up and um so there were some points where I'm like I think I have to read something. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm in a bit of a I'm in a bit of a bit of a dark space. I might just have to read something else. But because it's so brutally honest about what you went through, right? Mm. Um, so before we properly get into it, um, do you maybe just want to give us a real quick overview about what this book is about? Um, yeah, okay. Uh so in 2018, I lost my partner, Dan Collins, who is he was an, another absolutely fantastic, brilliant poet, writer, who I met on my master's course. Um, and unfortunately, he he took his own life and he, in many ways, blamed me for this because, of course, I'd broken up with him prior to his suicide because he was incredibly mentally unwell and making my life very, very difficult. And he went on to stalk me and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. And when he died, I, I was 22. So was he was an absolute child like a complete it is it was just a completely needless and horrible tragedy and um I was very I struggled terribly with it with PTSD with survivor's guilt with depression with anxiety with this this low self-esteem this low self-worth that made me feel like I didn't deserve to live particularly because he was such a talented writer and I didn't feel like I could live up to his standards of writing I still sort of don't <laughs> um and what I did is I thought I'm going to just move away and I'll get a fresh start and I'll, I moved to Spain and I moved to the Basque country, um, which is an area at the north of Spain, the south of France, and uh, had a nervous breakdown, essentially. Uh, there is, there's no other really way of sugarcoating it. I had a nervous breakdown when I was there and while I was there, I kept, I wrote a book. And when I came home, you know, I, I got medicated, I got help, I um, got a new job. And, and things started to pick up and, you know, obviously I'm here now and I didn't think I would be, but the, the book is a pretty unedited um, journal of that, that mental breakdown that I had as a result of the grief. With, yeah, which I think, and it comes, it comes through, but it it's, you say unedited and there are parts of the book where you're like, right, I really feel like I'm in this with you. But I also think it's beautifully written, like beautifully oh, written. Um, and I know one of the so one of the things you said you talk about in your book is is um, the idea around um, the accessibility of, of of your writing, which is like something that and I've said this on this podcast before. Like I I think that's so important. Like and for me personally as a reader, um, if something is accessible, I en- I always enjoy it more because there's that barrier has been taken away that like that like first I've got to figure out what these words are saying and then I've got to figure out what they mean and when you're talking about something like this such a traumatic experience or so much grief so much pain so you know 
all of the heavy, heavy emotions that you were feeling, when you're talking about something like that, um, I think it's even more important than that your your words are accessible. So, I, you know, I I appreciate you saying it unedited, but I I uh, for me as a reader, it didn't come across super unedited. Like, it came it came across very, um, like very purposeful and and very considered um and very honest if they you know if those things can all gel together <laughs> um yeah. I, th- I think honest was the main thing that I wanted it to be for sure yeah um so why did you decide to actually write this book then or did you was it not really a cognizant decision did you just start writing yeah yeah I didn't really decide I uh there, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff like I started counseling uh, during the university course I mean like he died and, and I went on and finished my master's but the entire time people were sort of watching me like people were, were scared and because of that I got offered lots of like free counseling and um she encouraged me to write a lot of letters to DC um which I did and they were sort of very angry and incoherent uh and then when I went to Spain I thought I'm just doing this to keep this up as a journal just to keep tabs on my mental health and to keep practicing writing. Um, But I think I talk about this a little bit in the book, like what sort of ended up happening is that like, I I was working on my PhD projects then as well. Like I wasn't doing a PhD, but I was planning for it. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of editing. It was a lot of jumping between characters and writing in different voices and and doing lots of research, oh, heavy, heavy research. Um, And I was working on a couple of other books at the same time, which didn't materialize into anything because they were really hard to write and I wasn't really enjoying them. But um, with this one, the journalistic quality, and I think, you know, back to being, I was very unwell, I was very self-absorbed. It was much easier to just write about myself and what I was feeling and what I was going through. And I ended up feeling like, I describe it as stretching, like a loosening that kind of got rid of uh, some of the the tension that I was feeling. So that continued and I kept doing it and using it as a uh, kind of a uh, coping mechanism during during the time that I was struggling and obviously it wasn't a fix-all I you know I, I got very very unwell but it helped it helped significantly and it also worked I think to add a sense of validation mm. consistently throughout this like it felt to me like a huge tragedy but also a huge injustice and I kept wanting people to see things from my perspective because there was this sense that I was a sort of like you know, femme fatale, who uh, broke a boy's heart and he died. And, and you know, that wasn't that wasn't how it felt to me. Mm-hmm. Like, we felt like an overwhelmed 22-year-old that just wanted this this boy to to get better, but to leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was horrible. It was a really, really horrible experience. And I had this sort of obsession with wanting people desperately to see what I was going through and to see it from my perspective and to understand the actual truth. And by having written it down at the time, I almost felt like I was gathering evidence, which is ludicrous. It's evidence from my perspective. And I was super mentally unwell. So like it would never stand up in a court of law. But it was it was like this need for validation that kind of like it made me continue writing it. And um, it's funny because now I look back at it and I try not to. God, I, like I didn't even really edit it properly because I was yeah, I found it too difficult to read through it again. I left that to my publishers to edit. Um but it doesn't seem to me like I'm putting down the works of somebody who was doing everything right. Like I'm reading it back in hindsight. I'm like, God, you, I was so unwell. Like I was so unwell and I was so self-centered and I was behaving like an absolute maniac. And I just, I didn't have the distance to see that at the time. I was, I was really, really, really sick. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I mean, and hearing you say that it's wild, isn't it? Because I'm, before like before this conversation I was reading it and I was like wow what a creative way to talk about grief like writing letters um to to your to your dead partner who you had all this trauma with or you had all you had because because you had quite um an intense relationship that got very abusive and then you left him and then and then he committed suicide and and and, you know, I was thinking about all of the stuff that you'd gone through and I was like, oh, well, you know, writing letters to DC is such um, a creative and interesting way of like doing this. Um, but of course, for you, that was just your way of coping. And that was you being in the middle of of absolute turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just it's important, I think, 
for our listeners to 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 hear you be like you know I was actually really unwell like yeah, yeah I'm glad yeah. you love the book but I was like super unwell <laughs> no, <laughs> that yeah. was yeah I'm glad you liked it but like yeah really nervous <laughs> breakdown no yeah 100% and I had lots of conflicting emotions you know because like there was a part of me that was so angry with him and really trying to vindicate myself and then there was also a part of me that loved him like really loved him he was this really incredible intelligent person who I connected with quickly and um I wanted to keep him alive in a way like a lot of people have said to me with a lot of shock like you used his you used his real name in the book yeah yeah I did because that was the point because like I wanted people to remember him and I wanted people to remember his work and I didn't know what right I had to publish all his work I only published a couple of pieces that he sent directly to me I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't you know uh but it, it was really important that I, I found some way to immortalize him mm-hmm. and I think probably realistically I more successfully just immortalized my own perspective of him while I was having a breakdown rather than actually who he was as a full complete three-dimensional person mm-hmm. um, but at the time it felt like I, I had this duty to do it for him like I owed it to him because like the world had lost its amazing writing talent and they could have they should at least know what they've lost um I say the world it sounds so grandiose like the five people who will read it but you know it was it was quite important to me to to have people remember him yeah um well hopefully more than five because I am in, in the <laughs> process of telling everybody I know <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you please everyone buy it oh yeah exactly um but what I found interesting is, so you, you said that you were, you were trying to immortalize Dan um, and you were trying, I think, and in the book, this is quite clear. You're like trying to make it clear that he was brilliant, mm-hmm. like in terms of a, um, in terms of his talent, he was brilliant. And you often talk about y- your feelings of inferiority in comparison to Dan, like, mm-hmm. um and I and I do feel like that is a bit of a thread that I found interesting to follow because I you you definitely grapple with your um your sort of the, the way that you view yourself as a writer and your own talents and how they are different to Dan's. Um, but I but I, I I don't feel like that ever sort of ebbs away. But maybe that's just something I've missed. But like I um I feel like there's always this sense that like Dan was brilliant. Um and almost better than me as a writer um and I'm not sure what my question is but I was just that's just something that I picked up it's sort of like I mean there was no almost about it at the time I 100% felt like I had um dated this complete genius who should have been alive because his work was like life-changing world-changing groundbreaking whatever and uh you know he he'd passed on and now I was left and I was crap and it just it was this overwhelming weight and uh, there's still an element of me that believes and feels so sad at the waste because like he would have been so much better now god five years on he would he would have been so much more talented he could have done incredible things really it's such a waste but um yeah my priorities are different now and my perspective is, is different now I write because I want to write not because I want to be this great voice and I think I think mm. a mistake every writer makes is wanting to be a great voice and to have everyone love them um, yeah <laughs> no, just do it for you do it for you because you think it's cool because you're enjoying it because it's therapeutic for you and I'm back in that space now and it's weird I'm not actually thought I don't think I've got to the point of thinking that um I'm a better writer than DC I don't think that's ever going to happen I think in death people are glamorized and and, and in my head even though I'm kind of conscious that that's a thing I I will continue to do it it's almost inevitable but it's different now I know that my worth isn't intrinsically tied up with being a writer being a writer is what I do but it's just one of the many things I do and it's not it's not the end of the world if I if I wasn't very good if I didn't make anything of it that's fine it's still been worthwhile as I still had some really good experiences out of it yeah um whereas before it felt like if I failed then like what had I taken to only go and fail like that that was like so such an awful um kind of the weight that was on me all the time but you know I, I don't really feel like that anymore a lot of this a lot of this helped with medication yeah. <laughs> counseling being around people that I loved again being honest with people about how I felt rather than pretending to like this group of people that I knew for yeah I mean the people in the Basque country were absolutely lovely people I've got 
no beef with them at all. A lot of them I'm still in touch with and they're really, really nice. But I didn't know them that well. And I Mm. came on the verge of a breakdown, kind of like demanding a lot of emotional support while not telling them what was wrong with me. They must have just thought I was absolutely insane, which I was. Um, So yeah, yeah, things got better and I don't see myself as a writer. And I think anyone that remembers me from that time will remember that I said I was a writer about every sentence. Oh, really? I made it like my whole personality. Like I shouldn't even really be here. I'm a teacher, but really I'm a writer. Like I was all, <laughs> I was completely insufferable because uh, I, I just felt so much weight, so much the gravity yeah. of this, this calling because I, I felt like I'd stolen this calling from someone else. Um, oh, that's, that's so interesting. That's, yeah. I mean, so, but how do you view your writing now? Like, do you view your writing now because... um like do you view your never let's take dc out the equation like without that comparison how do you view your own writing now like what are your opinions because you're and i only ask that because you comment on that quite a bit in the book <laughs> yeah I'll, like write a sentence the next sentence will be like this is shit <laughs> i loved it honestly because it I appreciate dark humor and I know that you weren't even trying to be funny when you were in that state but the way <laughs> these little bits that you've dropped in like you're like you exactly like you said you'll write all this stuff and then you'll you'll like comment on it and it's usually very self-deprecating <laughs> and as a person who really appreciates self-deprecating like humor and also just living life in that way um I I, I loved it but yeah sorry oh yeah <laughs> no thank you I love it and I, I get the feeling considering how much we keep in the course of this conversation being like if that makes sense do you know what I mean oh my god I've messed this oh up already god. like we're probably quite on the same wavelength yes speak, thank know, god <laughs> young women who've been bored being told they should be self-deprecating yeah uh, yeah I don't know what do I think about it now this the situation has changed I'm no longer in a position where I'm sort of like will I ever make it as a writer because while like I said I don't really feel like I've made it as a writer like I'm not a household name I'm not on any lists or whatever like my friends and my family have copies of my books that they've read and enjoyed. And, you know, if I want to get something published, I can send it off to a publisher and I can get that published now with four horsemen who were, you know, mostly specialised in, like, orc porn and, for some reason, heartbreaking memoirs about suicide. Uh, that's, their, that's their niche. Um, so I just thought I'd just write oh, I love that. I enjoy it. <laughs> and yeah, that's and, and that's it, like... And the reason I guess I, the reason I asked that question is because I I think it's I think you're right like especially especially as like like young women you know d- like depending on how we ident- identify it's kind of like from a young age we are um, told to be like quite like um, you know like demure like don't be like don't be like I think you, you used to like sort of narcissistic yeah I'm a writer so I'm like narciss- narcissistic and that is you know that's true to a large extent because you've got to be like I am writing my words deserve space but also it's very easy to be like um to write something put it out and then just never want to look at it ever again because you don't want to you don't want to have to draw an opinion on your own words like you don't have to yeah you don't want to have to have or have to think about what you think about your own work Mm. Um, and that's something that I've sort of grappled with a little bit over the last year and I've gotten to this place where I'm like it's okay if I think my my work is good (laughs) (laughs) I think my work is good and worthwhile and deserves to be out in the world like I think that's good (laughs) took me a long time to get there though and I it's I think it's it's one thing for someone else to tell you that your work is brilliant but it's another thing for you to sit there and be like yes no I genuinely think my work should be out in the world yeah because like that validation is never going to be enough not ever it's like it's like a fix or at least it was like a fix for me or validation I get one good grade and one good comment and I'd feel good for a week and then I needed another and I need to yeah got to the point of like kind of shoving my work at people who didn't necessarily want to read it and being like well what do you think what do you think and oh yeah but it wouldn't be you know this is groundbreaking genius level like seminal stuff yeah so it wasn't enough it was never 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 enough and since getting to the point of kind of being able to go well I like what I'm doing and I'm really enjoying it mm-hmm. and I can live doing this as well like I can live doing this PhD and publishing books now and again and doing all the teaching that I do uh, and because I have that sort of basic level of, of needs met I can just really enjoy it and not really worry about it and just do what I find enjoyable and yeah I'm not too worried about the quality it is what I've written 
it's what I've written and I enjoyed writing it um but I think so much of that has come from getting in a better space mentally and it took years it took years and I still have down base but um yeah you you have to have that internal validation yeah or then external for anything you do god don't worry about other people that's all <laughs> yeah I completely agree I 110% agree um okay so considering where you were when you like where you were sort of um mentally when you wrote this book like you're in a very sort of very dark place um I so you were kind of just like writing it all down as it came to you like there was no sort of rhyme or reason because one of my questions was that that like it's a book about it's a book about the death of DC but it's also a book about you because it's a it's it's your memoir um so I am interested to I was I was gonna ask how you made sure that like you didn't get lost in his story but I'm wondering if that's like if you'd even be able to say because you were in such like such a such a chaotic headspace when you were writing it was almost like a like a stream of consciousness type thing yeah yeah I don't I wouldn't say that I got lost in his story I think um at that particular point in my life that I was so unwell and so focused on this tragedy that had happened that it encompassed everything anyway so my story was completely encompassed with the death of DC you know and I I think a lot of people that have gone through grief or have gone through survivor's guilt because I think it's not just grief like I've I've lost friends since and you know lost family members since and uh I've lost friends in similarly tragic circumstances like my friend Liam killed himself during the pandemic and it was terrible but it wasn't just um the grief as much as I did completely miss him and that was overwhelming, it was the uh, blame, the guilt, the self-loathing, the uh, everyone hates you because they think you killed this person and they're not wrong to think that. It was that that was going on in my brain. So to say like, oh, you know, I managed to keep my story uh, separate from his and tell it and like, no, I, I don't think that's true at all. I think 100% it was my story, but I think my story was entirely based on my mental health struggle as a result of this event. And I also think it's important, like I, I wanted to tell DC's story, but I don't have any right or, or like um, agent, I, I don't have the ability to do that. Only mm-hmm. he can do that. Yeah. Uh, I only know something from a really, really small perspective. We dated for no length of time at all. We, we were seeing each other for six months, maybe, and, and like officially dating, whatever that means, for three. You know, like I, had, I, knew, this, I knew this boy less than a year. Yeah. Um, so my version of events isn't, is not the gospel by any stretch and it is mm-hmm. completely tainted by the fact that I was I was fucked like I was not in a good place um you know even at the funeral like we met people who had this depiction of him that was totally different so if it helps answer your question I'm not sure it does I'm not sure that anything any of the creative decisions that I made while writing that book were strictly conscious I don't really know and uh, there's a lot of that time of my life that I can't really remember very well yeah Um, so yeah no but that's I guess that's what I I guess that's what I thought you would say like you know after after what you'd said earlier um and I think that's important because it's so easy to think of it's so easy to have a picture of 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 how you think that author wrote the book um and I, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I was um really really keen to know what that was like for you um but it's reality and so if 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 you were sort of not really sort of conscious of what you were doing but you you wrote it all down anyway and it didn't it didn't prevent a nervous breakdown but it certainly helped you cope in some small way I think that's so important like that's such a valuable that's that's such an important message I think like that process and 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 you know for me to read it and get a lot out of it thank you um as someone who has not gone through anything close to what you went through but who but who is familiar with um you know feelings of sort of like grappling with self-worth and shame and and um that kind of like that need for like that need to have like have like justification of how I of how I feel and also like how I view my own work because I think especially when it comes to your poetic style in the book you refer to it yeah you I think you refer to it as like 
simplistic or accessible or whatever but I I loved your poetry it's so like I think simplistic and accessible is a generous <laughs> definition but thank you I I just feel like poetry can be whatever like obviously you 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 teach creative writing but and I've never I've never like I've never learned anything about the technicals of poetry anything like that but as someone who enjoys reading poetry and who gets a lot out of reading poetry um I I I write a little bit of poetry but it's but I find I connect more when it's accessible and simplistic like I just do that's just how I how I um that's just my experience but but I wanted but I I do want the listeners to know that like every so often in the book you'll come across a poem um and I think is the first one from DC yeah and then mo- but most of them are yours right most of the po- poems are yours yeah so there's one from DC and there's Bone Mother which you've wrote as part of a short story and it's a beautiful poem yeah um, yeah and they are beautiful, like, and your poems especially are beautiful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> they, but... were, they were written and, like, you know, unedited, usually when I was scribbling while kids were doing a task or whatever, you know, like. Which uh, is incredible. Like, the things that we can create when we are in such a chaotic place, I think is incredible. Yeah. yeah I mean, I also wasn't a very good teacher, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's eating sand again. Oh, I'm, whatever. I'm writing my poem. Can you just like, whatever? You can just like practice your uh, your verbs over there for a second. <laughs> well, oh, I'm gosh. in a deep depression. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, yeah, there was definitely a compulsion to write them. Like, I do get, I do get memories of it because I was so lonely that I did feel more of a compulsion to write, and because I was in a lot of pain, I felt more of a compulsion to write. Yeah. these days I've got like sit down with the timer and make myself right but those yeah days- you like throw a dice and yeah yeah so you wrote this book you came back at one point what was it so what was the timeline for you like finishing the book and then getting it to the publisher like did you did you have any reflection on writing the book because obviously you you wrote the book and then I think you said you had a nervous breakdown and so coming out of that I'm guessing was quite a while um did you have any period of reflection on writing the book or the book have you had any sort of serious like reflection on what that on what that did for you even or or have you just were you just like and I'm going to move past it and send it to my publishers and (laughs) oh god I mean yeah like yeah when I when I finished that book I'd like I fully intended because Spain had been such a massive failure and I, I'd left so unhappy. I, I fully intended to just like end things and, and all that. But it didn't happen because I'm, I'm not actually suicidal as it turns out. And like, you know, my mate got me a job and I didn't want to let her and her mum down. And, you know, like I was hang, hanging around with my family a lot, my baby nephews. And I was sort of like, well, no, I couldn't possibly. And like, you know, I was seeing my friends that I've known since I was 16 who I'm kind of in love with. And it ended up not really happening. Um, I, it, to say that I came home from Spain and I was just suddenly better isn't true. I spent a few months in an office job and was pretty miserable. And then I started uh, anti-anxiety medication because I wasn't sleeping. Um, I wasn't sleeping in Spain. I was really struggling. In Spain. I knew I had to go to the doctors. Uh, and it was a combination of starting medication, starting counselling again. I got six free sessions on the NHS, which is nothing. I've had them so often. They need to do better with mental health services. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah I had that going on I had that going on I was dating a very nice boy who was treating me well uh it didn't really work out but he he was very lovely and there was no he's what you needed at the time drama you know it's great yeah uh and then COVID hit and uh, I was spending a lot of time at home relaxing sleeping in doing work but doing work casually and not having to go into an office and being on decent pay and having the time and the space because I wasn't going out and getting drunk all the time to plan a PhD application. And then a year later, I was doing a PhD. And, you know, there were ups and downs in between and all the rest of it, but just little by little, I started to build up and get happier. In terms of sending off to a publication, <laughs> to a publishers, I'd sent off cheeky bloody articles to Paul Hoffman who published it, and that was great. They've got this absolutely like batshit mental thing of wanting a book every six months, which is impossible. Like, that, that is a ludicrous amount 
of of work to expect someone to produce but you know that's what they want and and thankfully you know I was a failing writer for many years so I have a big backlog and they were saying to me you know we, we need a book and I was like well I've got this one called Fluid which is out at the end of 2023 I'm really excited about it but you know that was uh, that had been shortlisted for a writing competition and I kind of wanted to see where that went before I sent it off to the publishers and then I had this I had a couple of short stories, but not really enough to make into a new collection. And I was like, look, I've got this book that's complete if you want it. And I hadn't looked at it since I'd written it. And they were like, yeah, we'll have a look at it. And I sent it off. And I sort of thought, they're probably not going to publish this because there's probably going to be all sorts of problems in terms of what I'm allowed to actually say about people who've really existed. And it's not well written. It's like, it's actively not very well. I know you say it's, it's great and I appreciate that, but like, I didn't think it was anyway. And um, I, I sent it off to them and I, my editor got back to me with all the like pen notes and suggestions and all the rest of it. And she she said to me like, um, thank you so much for writing this. My boyfriend killed himself when he, 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 I was 18. And um, oh, I, it was so meaningful, so touching. And I just thought, oh shit, but I've got to publish it. Because like, that would have been enough. Just one person reading it and saying mm-hmm. this is such me uh, would have been enough. But this is a widespread problem. There, there is a huge issue with men's mental health at the moment, and yeah. d- people feeling not able to express their emotions clearly. There is a huge issue with putting women and particularly partners as being solely responsible for looking after men's mental health, even when it puts them in danger. It's been uh, glamorized in all sorts of artwork and television and film and books and we need to have a shift I think about the way we see healthy happy functioning relationships with boundaries and self-love and um, respect and you know since then like some of my friends have read it they've had similar experience experiences um, and I started I thought I get so much hate. <laughs> I thought I get so many people being like, who is she? Who does she think she is? Not only does she cause this poor young lad to commit suicide and then she like fucking profits of it. What an awful person. And I was prepared for that and it didn't happen. Instead, what I got was loads and loads of women going, I went through something similar. And um, yeah. it was because of that that I don't regret it. Of course, if the situation changed, if I found out that any anyone in the world was hurt by the book, I would immediately tell my publishers, no more, we're, we're not publishing this anymore. But yeah. for now, I, I think it seems to be doing more good than harm. Uh, so no, there wasn't an active decision where I reflected on, on it and thought, yeah, I'll send this off to publishers. It was it was just a combination of things that kind of came together. Yeah. And along. And it was it, just the publishers being like, we need a book. And you're like, well, let me just let me just pick something out of the, oh, here we go. Here's a book, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> They'd say no and not really taking it seriously because it's it's one step at a time. It's not like you yeah. suddenly stop it's getting published. It was like, I'll give them this to appease them for a bit. Yeah. And we'll see what they say. And, and now it's out in the world. Oh, now it's out in the world. So talking about those those people that you've, you've had um, tell you what they got from the book, I am keen and you talk a little bit about this at the end of the book but I am keen um to to hear what you what what you hope readers get from this book and like who you hope will read this book I I know it's um anyone who's been through anything similar young women I want to read especially young women in relationships with controlling or emotionally manipulated men I want them to read it want anyone who's had anyone in their life go through a suicide attempt I think they should read it because there's no there's no point in continuously blaming yourself it gets you nowhere um I want emotionally sensitive and vulnerable mentally unwell young men to read it I want them to know that you know there are real people beside these kind of like pedestal symbols that they've created in their head as being their saviors there are real people that have lives that they have to continue to live. I, I want anyone who's ever felt suicidal, uh, anyone, anyone who wants to, you know, give it a go, audience. Yeah. But like, uh, in particular, the thing that I wanted to get across the most is young women who've been through a similar experience. Like, you are not alone. It is not your fault. Ah, oh, Kathleen, <laughs> thank you so much. I think that is the perfect perfect place for us to end our conversation um thank you so 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 much for 
talking talking to me about this and for sort of going through that I'm going to use the word again journey (laughs) going through that going through that journey again for the benefit of this conversation and 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 you know being so honest with us about where you were when you read when you wrote the book and I just I've loved this conversation so much um before I let you go um where can our lovely listeners find you oh um god where can you find me oh I'm on Instagram as scruff bucket ragamuffin you'll just get lots of pictures of my cat and some of my books and some very cute cat by the way isn't isn't it super old as well I love yeah it. So she's 19 yeah, <laughs> I've got mental. I've got a 17 year old dog so I'm all here for old old oh. animals <laughs> sorry carry on I interrupted no no I was, uh, any opportunity to bring up my ridiculously old cat I'm gonna <laughs> I've got that I've got Facebook for Kathleen Davis but that's got like a hundred followers or something ludicrous but you can follow that if you want I do have a website yeah I think it's kathleendavis.rigsite.com or something uh uh which has like a huge list of all my publications yeah buy cheeky bloody articles buy on marvel um and don't panic, by the way, because I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. So, <laughs> yeah, because I can't remember, and I'm terrible at marketing and market, self-marketing is something oh yeah, I'm supposed to do, and I'm just I fail to this day. I can't remember. I I can't remember. I have uh, my Instagram handle where I put the underscore if, if it's before B or after B. I just don't know. So yeah, don't worry. Don't panic. I'm going to put all. <laughs> of it, I'm going to put it all in the show notes. Thank um, you. But yeah, thanks so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, good luck with the podcast. I can't wait to listen to more stuff. I listened to you on with Erica. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> She's thank, you. Well, I say. <laughs> thank you so much.